So we're taking time through the summer to reflect on the Psalms, to, as the graphic says, to rest in the truths of who God is, to refresh. And, and that kind of has a double meaning uh, for me as, as we were putting that together, to refresh, one, to be refreshed, like in a, in a tough season, you know, or like after a workout and you think about just like dumping some water over you and taking a drink, like it's refreshing, but also to refresh ourselves on the truth, to refresh ourselves on the true story and uh, what's happening in the world, and then to be renewed. And so again, it's this process, kind of like I talked about with lament, confession, repentance. It's, it's this process of pausing and stopping, being reoriented toward what is true, and then being moved in action now because of that. There's a quote by this guy, Ralph Marston, which I see lots of quotes by him, and you think like it's going to be this like old author, maybe he's passed away now or something like that. Turns out he's like a, a he's alive right now. He's a contemporary dude who just started a blog, and he gets quoted a lot. So good for him. But this is what he said. He said he is a believer, and he said, "Rest when you're weary, refresh and renew yourself, your body, your mind, your spirit. Then get back to work." I love that quote. Like that is the goal. It's, we can come and we can rest in in our Savior. We can rest in the Shepherd who leads us by by green pastures and still waters, but he also calls us into his work with him. And we can rest in the fact that he is going to fulfill his work. He is perfectly going to do that. But we get to join in that work with him. And so we just invite you in the process of going through the Psalms to to look at that together. And we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning. And it's only six verses in Psalm 1. And this is what the author of the first Psalm writes. How happy, your translation might say blessed, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Father, we pray that your word would help illuminate things in our own hearts, help draw us closer to you, give us a love for your word, a love for your ways, a love for being in your presence. May we join in what you are doing in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what I'd love to do is just pause for a second after having read the very first psalm, the introduction to the whole 150 psalms in the psalm book, and just hear some of your thoughts. So what, when you read that, when you hear that, what initially comes to mind? What are some things that you would take away from that? We use God's word to um, like discern what's righteous and what's evil. I happen to like um, verse two and three. Um, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in, um, in its season. All that to say, um, um, to be able to um, walk through some of the storms that we're going through. Um, it's important to uh, stand on his word um, and uh, trust the spirit to gird you up. Um, that's what I heard. Although there's so much more to say in those verses. Just reading these verses, it reminds me of like camping in Lolo Mine. Where like, like when, you, when you're driving down into the canyon, right? Or even when you're, you're driving there, you can tell where the creek goes by the, by the green trees that just kind of weave in and out of, the, out of the canyon, out of the valley. You can tell which trees are planted right next to the creek because they're, they're green, they're flourishing. And I think it reminds me of like, that should be true of us. That should be true of our lives. When we, we should be reflecting God's word and, and what he is doing in our life, that when people look at us, our lives, what we say, our actions, it should stand out apart from um, just this world. That's great. Yeah, that goes along with what I was just going to say is the, the heading of this in my Bible uh, just says the two ways. So yours might say something similar to that, but it's laying out, here's two different ways to live, right? And those who are following the ways of the Lord should look much different than those who are not. So you got the, this picture, this imagery of a tree firmly planted by flowing streams of water, which the, the actual like, meaning behind the, those words is actually literally said the irrigation channels. So there's like an intentional, we've made sure that there's water here to nourish this tree. Right? So that you get this tree that's firmly planted there, it's healthy, it's growing, it's bearing fruit. And then the second image we get of the other way, the wicked, is like chaff blowing in the wind. So when I roast coffee, what happens on those little seeds is as it starts to heat up and cook, the outer layer of it, uh, it starts to flake off and it's called chaff. And so it's like a a little skin around the seed in essence that gets burnt off of it. It gets burnt off. And then when I dump it into the cooling bin, what happens is the wind just takes it away. So all the chaff, it just blows right away. And when I'm Roasting it on my homemade roaster in my driveway, um, some of it gets on the driveway, and I just leave it because what happens, it's gone the next day, like it was never there. And so those are the two images we get. One firmly planted, not moving, healthy, that can withstand the different seasons of life, and then one that is just gone here today, gone tomorrow. So we get those, that imagery, and we look at that, and we think, oh, man, what do I got to do to make sure I'm in this category, right? So we, we read it and we go, uh, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Okay, I got to make sure I'm listening to the right advice from people or stand in the pathway of the sinners, make sure I'm not hanging around the wrong crowd, right? Uh, sit in the company of mockers. Instead, okay, here's what I do. His delight is in the Lord's instruction. So I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm forcing happy. <laughs> I'm forcing my delight in the things that God says, right? Uh, He meditates on it day and night. Make sure you're doing your quiet times. You're reading the Bible all the time, right? 
So those are the things I got to do in order to make sure I'm that firmly planted tree. You guys are very smart, um, and so maybe that's not what, what you do. But I know, like, one of the first times I read that psalm, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, how do I make sure? What are the things I got to do to be in this first group of people, right? And I think a lot of times when we read Scripture and we just see those laid out and we get this, like, checklist, it seems like, of what to do to be right, that's where our minds go. But I want to pause and I want to say, let's not look at this again, as we often talk about with Missy, let's not look at this as Phoenicians in 2020, but let's look at this as the people who wrote it and who they wrote it for. So I want to talk just a little bit about what are the Psalms? What's the purpose of them? Uh, someone said, by the way, one of the Paredes said, I think it's curious that it starts off with a don't do list to be happy. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, it starts with, here's what not to do. It moves in what to do, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use another device. I'm going to share a screen here. Can you guys all see that? I'm going to draw a little bit for you. And what we're going to do is look at uh, the whole 150 psalms. And what the 150 psalms are is, yes, absolutely a collection of songs, of hymns, and of poetry. But it's also so much more than that. And so what it actually was, was a, a collection, at least, at least at the point where they took all the Psalms and they put them in this order, it became this collection that was a retelling of the biblical narrative so far, what they had up to that point. In fact, there are exactly one, two, three, four, I had to count to make sure I'm doing it right, and five books in the book of Psalms. So it's actually five books. You'll get to that as you go through. You'll read a heading and it'll say book one, and then you'll be flipping through the Psalms, and all of a sudden it's book two. So it's five books, and it's done that way purposely to image the first five books of Scripture that we have, what is also called the Pentateuch, or at that time would have just been known as the Torah, the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures all they had in the scriptures at that time. And so they were intentionally and purposefully trying to image that. There's a reason for that. See, what happened is, in fact, let's just take a look at the person who writes the majority of the Psalms. It is King David, right? Most of the time when he's writing those Psalms, what is he doing? He's on the run, either from King Saul, from one of his sons later in life, from other nations trying to come at him when he's king of Israel. He's on the run. It's like he's in exile, so to speak. And the psalm book, the whole 150 psalms was put together around the time that all of Israel was in exile. And so they used to be able to go into the temple, and that's the closest physical way that they could enter into the presence of God. And they would go into the temple, and they would have the scriptures there because they didn't all have Bibles at their homes. And they would go in, and they would also see this visual imagery that God very specifically gave instruction for them to build in order to show them and remind them of what creation was like when heaven and earth were united as one and God's people were there present with him. And so they would go into the temple and have that. Well, now in exile, you don't have access to that, right? So instead, this kind of virtual temple was crafted together through the 150 Psalms with five different books to mirror the Torah, what they had at the time. So they could easily store up these songs and poems in their hearts 
and have a virtual temple to go into, in a sense, to be in the presence of God. And so they're reminded of the story of creation, how God came and created all things, but then they're reminded that they rebelled and they were no longer in Eden. They had to go into the temple to, to get a glimpse of that, but now in exile, they don't even have that option, right? There's brokenness in the world and they're separated from the presence of God. And they were reminded that one day God made a promise he would come back and restore and reunite all things. And they're told in the Torah how to live in between those times, how to point forward to that time, how to live as God's people in between this brokenness and restoration. What they didn't have necessarily yet was this moment in history where Jesus comes, right? Where Jesus enters into the scene and he becomes the fullness of what humanity was supposed to be and what Israel was supposed to be. And he is the uniting between God and man. He is bringing the kingdom of God to earth, the reuniting of heaven and earth in a sense. And so they didn't know exactly what that would look like, but still, even in the first five books, they had a glimpse of that. They were given a promise that one day the seed of the woman from the spirit of God would come and make all things right, would crush the head of the serpent. So they were given this foreshadowing of this coming. And so what these five books are intended to do is to remind us all the way at the beginning what things were supposed to be like, point forward to when things would be made right again. Not just simply poems and songs to sing that have good ideas or good ways to live, although that's true but a re-narration of the whole story of the Bible. So when we think about that, in light of that, I think what it could do is possibly change the way we read Psalm 1. This introduction into all 150 Psalms might come across slightly different. So I want us to think about this, and then I'll turn over to some more conversation. But the very first Psalm if it is intended to remind us at the very beginning of creation, what does it do? It paints the picture of two trees in a sense, doesn't it? It paints the picture of two trees, one that is full of life and one that is death. And it lays before us an option. It lays before us a choice. Will you trust in the ways of the Lord? Will you delight in the ways of the Lord in order to eat from this tree of life, in order to find fullness of life, no matter what season comes? Or will you choose the way of the wicked? Will you choose not to delight yourselves in the Lord's instruction and instead choose to move over into this tree that ultimately leads to death and it becomes like chaff just blown away in the wind? And suddenly what that does is it reminds us, oh yeah, this is rooted in a much deeper story and it's painting a narrative for us. It's not necessarily a checklist. This is what we don't do and what we do in order to be the righteous. It's reminding us there was a moment at the very beginning of creation where God laid out these two choices and we already chose. We already chose the path of wickedness. The first two people as our representatives, but now every human being born into that destructive, sinful nature makes those choices every day in our own hearts, don't we? So it's a reminder of that state, but at the same time, remember, it didn't end there. That even those first five books hold out a promise, 
and teach you how to walk in that promise. So it's saying the promise is one day one's going to come and be this full picture of righteousness and allow you to walk in it with him. So that very first, uh, the first two words, how happy or how blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked follows the ways of the Lord. How happy or blessed is that person? I want to talk about that. Because how do we get there, right? How do, we, how do we find ourselves happy in the ways of the Lord when in a sense we've all, all of humanity, have already chosen the ways of the wicked? I'd love to hear some thoughts from you guys on that. What, what do we do with that? Chris, I think some of it is uh, like acknowledging how blessed we are with uh, the freedom that we have uh, in, in our country. Um, I think it's also like just having the provisions of like electricity, <laughs> uh, plumbing, uh, water, hot water, um, air conditioning in Arizona. Like I can't even imagine how difficult it would be uh, in the middle of summer to not have, you know, just basically an endless supply of water and air conditioning, you know, it's, this is a, this would be a very difficult place to live like a deadly, potentially deadly place without air conditioning and water. So I think just kind of reflecting on the, the goodness of what we have is I take it for granted all the time. And so just kind of, remembering like this is this is a gift man not everybody lives like this yeah i think you're touching on something really important there aaron this is the reason why we share evidences of grace each week that we get together because we have to constantly remind ourselves how blessed we have been um that is that word blessed means happy they're, they're the same word and it's not happy like our fleeting happiness that we often experience in our culture with the things of this world but it's a deep sense of happiness and contentment and fulfillment. Like, it's really maybe in our language in English today, probably closer translated to joy. And so reminding ourselves, even in the midst of things that have gone wrong this week, of the things we are blessed with that do remind us that we have a joy to be happy in because of the Lord. It's interesting, though, I, I, as you're saying that, Aaron, I heard, um, maybe I read this, I can't remember, but there was a study uh, that I just was brought to my attention this week of a study that was done between people who won the lottery and people who became paraplegics. And so if you were to kind of guess which one would be more happy a year after that event in their life, who would you guess it'd be, right? Like, raise your hand if you think you'd be more happy in a year if you won the lottery today. Be honest, guys, come on. Or what if you think you'd be more happy a year from today if you became a paraplegic today? The study actually showed it was, it was, they showed the same levels of happiness in both groups. It had nothing to do with the circumstance. So whether you won the lottery or lost the use of your own mobility, like that did not affect their happiness. And so what do we, what do, we do about like in those times, like much of the Psalms were written, where you don't have circumstances to necessarily be thankful for. How do you find happiness then, right? How, how do you delight in who God is in those moments? 
Any other thoughts? I feel like um, <clears throat> we, um, in, the, in the dark moments, we delight in what we know, what is true, how good God is, um, because we take our very breath for granted. I know I do. And um, remembering and reflecting on how good he has been, even in this dark moment, mm. and how good he is still even in this dark moment. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Like the evidence is a grace for the Israelites in the wilderness where remember what God did when he brought us out of slavery, out of Egypt, right? It wasn't necessarily like, man, what a great hot day this is in the desert. <laughs> but yeah, remembering what he has done. Any other thoughts? It's also um, like when you don't have those scenes, I think what brings you joy is what's to come, the hope of heaven, the hope of what Jesus has finished for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm hearing from you guys this reminder of what God has done earlier on in the story, stopping and reflecting even on what he's doing currently, even in the midst of brokenness, and looking forward to what will one day come as well, our hope and our joy to come, right? And that's so good. And I, I want us to continue on in this uh, reflection on that word, happy or blessed, because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about that, about the very same thing. I'm going to pick up in verse 3. This is famously known as the Beatitudes. And this is what Jesus said at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Remember this word, blessed. It's the same word as happy. It's literally the exact same word in Greek as the Hebrew word used in Psalm 1 that we just read. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness where they will be filled. I want to pause and reflect on those three verses right there first. Happy are the poor in spirit, those who, who have nothing of themselves to give, because the kingdom of God will be theirs. Happy are those who mourn in sorrow, deep sadness. It's like an oxymoron, right? Because they're going to be comforted in the midst of that. As Jesus sat and wept with his friends over the death of Lazarus, knowing he was going to bring him back to life, he, he sat and entered that with them and comforted them in the midst of it. Happy are the humble, those who, who make themselves low in status and in stature, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst, have a deep sense of need for righteousness, for they will be filled with it. Continuing on, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
What we see in this is Jesus begins with, happy are those who recognize they are in deep need. A deep sense of need. Why? Because when they recognize that need, and they, they know that that need is for righteousness, and they place their hope and trust in that being filled, he will fill that. And then he moves into these statements of, now those who live in that, those who extend mercy because they've been given mercy, right? Those who are pure in heart, they now desire the things of, of righteousness, the things of the Lord, the things of Jesus, because they will see him. They'll receive God. Blessed are those who make peace in this world of division and hostility. The peacemakers. Why? Because you have been given peace with God because of the work of Jesus. You will be called sons of God. Sons and daughters, by the way. It's the Greek word there. Happy are those who also, at the end, and so fittingly ends that section of the blessed are statements, are those who are persecuted, who suffer because of living this way, because of righteousness. Why? The kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of heaven is coming and is being reunited with earth and will one day be finally and fully complete here. And you will live and dwell in that forever without persecution in the midst of righteousness himself. And so the flow of Jesus's words are, when you recognize you are in deep need, that's when you will find the most joy. That's when you will find the most satisfaction. When you look to me to meet that, you will be called righteous. Not because you learned how to not walk with sinners. Not because you learned how to not sit in the company of scoffers. Not because you somehow mustered up the delight in your heart for God's word and are reading it every single day. All those, like do all those things, is great. But because you recognized, oh man, at the beginning of the story, there was this choice between these two trees and one was life and righteousness and the other one was wickedness and death. And we chose. And now I got nothing. I'm poor in spirit. I'm humble. I am in deep need for righteousness because I don't have any of my own. And we go to God with that. And he meets us with his son, Jesus. And Jesus enters into the death of that second tree. He takes the death on a tree on our behalf. And he himself becoming our tree of life. If we go and we eat from him, if we draw from his well, we are filled up. And we can be happy and we can rejoice knowing at the very beginning, this is how God intended it to be, heaven and earth as one with us dwelling in his presence, eating from the tree of life, knowing that one day he is at work to restore that again. And even in the midst of that, even in the middle, in the here and now, we can still reflect that God is at work. He's doing this. This is the the story that we live in. This is why the Psalms were put together in this format. This is why I believe Psalm 1 starts off with that. Remember the story you live in. And remember that one day righteousness will be ours because of his work. So next week, when we move into Psalm 65, it's a psalm that reminds us that everything on this earth belongs to God. And even still, in the midst of brokenness, he is caring for it. That's good news that we need today. Whether it's an epidemic or 
race riots or whatever's going on in our culture, whatever's going on in your home, we need to be reminded of this truth. I would love to hear from some of you right now, like what are some things that maybe that potentially changes for you even today? Or, or maybe the way that we read Psalm 1 earlier, how is it different from the way we just read it right now? What are some of your thoughts? So what stood out to me is it's a tree can be planted anywhere, it's, but the, the tree that's healthy is planted near the, the stream, which is a symbol of near God. And it's not about what we do or who we are. It's about, uh, you know, are we rooted in Jesus Christ and in God? And are we holding firmly to his truths? That the two trees are like a moment by moment choice where um, it's like, are you going to invest in like cultivating the fruit of the tree and delighting in the Lord and um, that relationship, understanding him more? Um, or are you going to invest in the other tree um, and then eventually like wither and die? Um, the Bible Project did a podcast series on this exact thing. Um, and I've been listening to it and it's like really impactful um, just with the tree imagery and how that is threaded throughout scripture. Um, and then how those two trees represent the two choices that we have. And that is a choice that like humanity has as a whole, but then that we have in each and every moment, like, are we going to choose God's wisdom and the tree of life? Or we can choose the truth. Yeah, that's great. That is a great resource, by the way. What Mary Kate just mentioned of the Bible Project, the video on uh, the tree, but also they have a whole podcast series on that too, leading up to making the video. So I was just, I think, in the last part, just struck by it's both restful and active right, in that way of living. So. I don't have other words besides that. That's good. I I think a lot of what we're hearing is um, that there is this, there is an action required, right? Like that we are choosing to live in in the way of righteousness. And there's also a resting in the one who fully did that on our behalf. Uh, The recognizing our need for him to do that fully for us, but then the choosing to follow after him and walk in his ways now. And so I think even with that uh, Psalm 1, with that tree firmly planted, it's firmly planted and it's resting there. It's at rest in a sense. But I love that the actual language is irrigation channels dug for flowing streams by the tree. Like there's an action there. There, There's a implicit choice in making sure this tree is being nourished in the right things. That's my, my hope and my prayer for us as we continue through the Psalms is that we would rest that we would be refreshed and renewed in this story that we live in, the true story of the world, and that we would be able to then go forward in light of that and move in righteousness as we're empowered and filled by the Spirit.